Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4 this week and came across a phrase that caught my attention with the context of, of what's happening tomorrow. Um, it, I, I would much, uh, so let's get this out of the way, I would much rather preach on a regular Sunday than a Sunday with a theme because there's so many good preachers that could say it better than I can, all right? Uh, unfortunately for you, uh, I'm the man of the hour, and so it is what it is. July 2nd, 1776, a date which most people don't recognize. Yesterday is when the Declaration of Independence was adopted. The 56 men who would eventually put their signature at the bottom of this document um, were representatives from 13 British colonies that were disjointed and not even close to being on the same page. But all of them were willing to take a step. And the step that they took was one of tremendous importance, not just in the context of our nation, but in the context of their lives. Uh, there have been many messages preached on the great sacrifice that our founding fathers make, uh, that made, excuse me. And that would be a valid topic for this morning. They decided to announce the independence of these 13 struggling colonies to the world. And this announcement began one of the greatest national journeys in history, blazing a path of freedom for all kinds of people. This freedom was not in one vein. It was for everything. Now, current historians will take you back and say, well, they didn't give freedom to this people, and they didn't give freedom to those people, and what about this group over here? And I would agree that it took some time for our nation to iron out some of the issues. But I would also like to point out that each one of us have yet to iron out the issues in our own life. And while these men loved God, and we'll talk about that, they loved God, and they were in His Word, and they trusted Him for direction, they weren't perfect either. Now, I submit to you that in the course of history, after the ascension of Christ, there has never been a group of men together in one location who loved God and understood government better than this group, uh, without a doubt. Our young nation hung in the balance during the years of 1776 to 1781, and during that time period, our leaders fought, they prayed, and some of them died for the freedoms that we enjoy today, freedoms like the freedom of speech, the ability we have today to say what we're going to say, the freedom of religion. You say, oh, yes, so we can all worship what we want. That's not what it means. Freedom of religion means that each person can choose for themselves what they choose to believe and that the government cannot restrict that belief according to religion or according to system. The, freedom, the, the, the different freedoms that mark us as a unique nation, from that point forward, our nation has been free. Now, you make that statement today, and there's a lot of people who say, well, hold on, we're not free to do what we want. That's not what freedom means. Freedom doesn't mean the ability to do what you want. It means the ability to be free in your choices. Each one of us accept the consequences of what we do, free or not. And so from that point forward, our nation has been free. There's been many wars. There's been internal strife, and there's been times of peace. And in those three situations, men and women of our nation and many other nations have fought to protect the freedom that we enjoy today. And as of today, we're still free. We ought to thank the Lord for that. 
but there remains a lot of work to be done. We have to stand for freedom. The verse we looked at this morning, Psalm chapter 33 and verse number 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There's a French political scientist, he's a diplomat, he traveled across the United States from 1831 to 1832. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. Once he traveled across the nation, he wrote a book. Uh, And his book is one of the earliest, what should we call it, defining works on what it means to be an American. Uh, he was French. He traveled and from, have traveled the world and then came to America. He wrote this in one, of, in one of his chapters. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I searched in her democratic congress, and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And I submit to you that's the condition we find ourselves in today. John Adams, in founding our nation, made this statement. He said, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Benjamin Rush, one of the other signers of the declaration, said the only foundation for a useful education in a republic is to be laid in religion. Without this, there can be no virtue. And without virtue, there can be no liberty. And liberty is the object and life of all Republican governments. George Washington famously said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Thomas Jefferson said, The Bible is the cornerstone of liberty. Studious perusal of the sacred volume will make us better citizens, better fathers, and better husbands. Andrew Jackson said the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Ulysses S. Grant said, hold fast to the Bible. To the influences of this book, we are indebted for all the progress made in true civilization. And to this, we must look as our guide in the future. You see, even today, America is still the greatest nation on earth, despite the downward spiral we see as members of our nation. She still stands for freedom, And she still allows people to worship as they choose. But the question we want to ask ourselves this morning is is how? How do we get back to the things that made our nation great? What must we do to bring America back to being a truly great nation? And so to answer that question this morning, I'd like to direct your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to read a few verses here. And draw some truths about what each one of us as citizens of the United States of America can do to make this great nation great again. The Bible says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them that ye may live 
and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that follow Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land where ye go to possess it. Now therefore, excuse me, keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who God so nigh, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. Father, we need your help today. I need your help today, Lord. Would you move me out of the way? Would you allow me to only say the things that bring you honor and glory? May we be careful, Lord, with the time, and would we learn from you how we ought to behave as citizens of this great nation you blessed us with. Lord, would you clear my thoughts? Would you be the one that gets the honor and the glory today? Fill this place with your spirit. Bless us, Lord. Help us to understand and to obey your word today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You understand that as a nation based on the Bible, America is singularly unique in our world. I have thought back through all of the nations outside of the nation of Israel. I cannot think of a nation that was founded on the Bible. I can think of a lot of other nations that have had a huge impact on the world from the aspect of the Bible. The nation of England comes to mind, sending out missionaries all over the globe. The nation of Israel started on the Bible, just like America did. You know, we can read about that in the Bible, right? But very similar to America, they drifted. They drifted away, focused more on the things that they wanted rather than the things that God commanded. And as we look at this passage this morning, I'd like to point out three things to you. Three things that can help us to maintain and to bring our nation back to our spiritual moorings. Because if we're honest, as, nation, as citizens of this nation, that is what we desire. We do. We desire to see America come back to God. We desire to see God turn the tide. Honestly, in the last month, we've seen things come out of the Supreme Court that if you would have asked me a year ago if it would have happened, I would have said, not going to happen. It's one of those things that we would validly say was anti-Constitution when it was passed. Uh, you know, old habits die hard. But the truth of the matter is, God's Word hasn't changed. And the truth of God's Word hasn't changed. And if we desire to go back to the Constitution... You say, well, we, we need to uphold the Constitution. We need to do what the Constitution says. Then the best place to figure out how to do that is the word of God because that's where the Constitution came from. 
Uh, we've already mentioned it, but please don't get in the habit of, of thinking that, well, there was a couple people at the beginning of our nation that loved God, that loved the Bible, but, you know, there were some of them that just, they, they just were very wise men. Don't believe that. Uh, at the time when our nation was being formed in, in the 1770s, it was required for every person to be in church on Sunday morning. Now, regardless of not whether that's the right reason to be here, you pick up something if you're here. You, if you're forced to come to church, you're going to pick up something. You will. And your foundation will be based there. Today, the things that we see on the news, we see in television shows that are talked about in open settings, would not even been uttered from the lips of people who founded our nation. Why? Because this was their foundation. And this is what we must get back to. And so let's look this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 4. First of all, we see, let's look at verse number 2. The Bible states that the nation of Israel, now you understand at this point in history, Moses is the one giving the instructions from God to the nation of Israel. And he says this in verse number 2, Ye, the nation of Israel, shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. The first thing we see is... Wait, look, you get all three of them at one shot. All right. We need to follow God-given commands. All right? The guy who makes the PowerPoint is going to lose his job, I can guarantee you. All right? We need to follow God-given commands. You understand, this is the first place that the race of humans was attacked. God's commands. The first interaction we see between humans and the spiritual realm was between Eve and the devil. And what did he say? Is, is that what God said? Are you sure? That's what he said. He said, are you sure that's what it says? What's Moses telling the children of Israel? Hey, you better be sure what it says. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. We read to the end of the Bible, we get to the book of Revelation, what does it say? People that add or subtract from God's word have punishment waiting for them. You say, what, what, what's the big deal about God's work? It's where we find God's commands. And this is where we ought to base our life. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know this morning, but I am telling you stuff that you and I both don't do. Okay, I know that was a little pointed for a Sunday morning. But you and I, if we're honest with each other, can sit back and say, yeah, this week, you know what? I didn't do this like the Bible said. I didn't do that like the Bible said. Why? We're human. We look back at our founding fathers. You say, well, they didn't, do, they didn't deal with this issue, the issue of slavery. I agree. Well, then they must not have been godly people because a godly person wouldn't keep people in slavery. I submit to you that you're wrong. You read history. Now, I'm not saying that slavery is right. I'm saying that people are sinners and that they can study God's word and still miss stuff like this guy has. You see, God's word is the foundation of everything that we do. What does Joshua 1.8 say? This book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart. I want to, before we go any farther, I want to point out something to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, who's doing the speaking? Outside of the Lord, I know, but who's the human voice? It's Moses. In Joshua 1.8, who's speaking? Joshua is. It's the second generation. We're going to come down to this at the end of the message. That the key to our nation's success is not what we do now, but what we teach our children to do next. And what we teach our grandchildren to do the following generation. We'll get there. 
But what does it say? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. One of the earliest textbooks in America was this book right here. This is how people learned to read, how they learned how to write. You, you ought to go back and look at, the, look at a, an original text of the Declaration of Independence. It's a little interesting to read unless you're paying attention. And then get you a Bible from 1770s, 1780s, and look at the text in that. It's the same thing. Why? Because that's how they learned how to write. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. I've never read of any other nation that started the formation of their government with prayer. Now, regardless of not what you think of Benjamin Franklin, I'm on the fence about him, to be honest. I think he knew who God was. I think he read his Bible. I don't know if he's saved. It's possible. I don't know. He's the one who made the suggestion as the senior member of the Continental Congress, we must start this with prayer. And so every morning, a pastor from Philadelphia would come in and start the day with prayer. And every afternoon, that pastor would come back and end the day with prayer. Why? Because if we do not have God helping us, this will end in failures, what Benjamin Franklin said. This book of the law won't depart. Why? You're going to meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all that I've commanded you. You see, God's word keeps us on track. If we look at Psalm 119, turn there. Psalm 119, verse number 30. If you have not memorized this verse, this needs to be on your list for this week. Psalm 119, verse number 30, makes it clear to us that God's word and the understanding of God's word allows us to follow the commands that God gives us. What's Psalm 119, verse number 30 say? I have chosen the way of truth. I didn't come upon it by accident. I didn't just give it a whirl and it worked. I've chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. See, this, God's word doesn't just keep us on track. It teaches us truth. Why? Because we've chosen to learn truth. You see, every day is based on a choice. As an American citizen and as a Christian, it's based on choices. God's word or my way. All right? There's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. It comes from here. So not only does God's word keep us on track and give us truth, but if we were to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, verses you're very familiar with, we tend to hit Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when we're talking to young people. Hey, what are you doing? You're like, well, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You say, that's a good verse to know if what you're doing is right and what path you should be on. And I agree, but I think we missed something in Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. You know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 gives us? It gives us hope for the future. Because if we trust God and we let him direct our paths, we know the future is bright. You see, one of the things we've missed in our nation, and I've missed as an American citizen, is the fact that we have to trust God if we expect our country to turn out. Me getting upset about what's happening in our nation and lashing out doesn't do any good. Why? Because it's not trusting God with the path that he's given us. You don't, find, you don't find old Elijah going down to Ahab and saying, you're a jerk. We talked about Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel in Sunday school this morning. You're a jerk. Why are you trying to kill me? You didn't find him going and stopping at a 
restaurant on his way to fleeing into the wilderness and saying, yeah, that Queen Jezebel, man, what a witch she is. I wish somebody would just run her over with a chariot. All right? You don't find him saying that. What's he do? He says, yea, hath God said. This is what God said. On, the, on Mount Carmel, what does he say? He says, you've waffled long enough. Make up your mind. God's word gives us commands that allows us to keep on track, allows us to learn, and gives us hope for the future. But second of all, we need to focus on God-guided obedience. And I want, I want you to see this. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse number 1. As I've, as I've grown in the Lord, one of the things that I have to constantly bring myself back to is read the words that are there. Okay? Uh, my, my children love reading. Like, they love, that's all they do, is read and play and clean. That's the three things they do every day. But some of my girls, like me when I was younger, they read really fast. They don't read every word. They just get the idea. Okay? A lot of times if I'm reading a book, I, that's what I do. I read for the general. Why? Because time is valuable. I don't have time to stop and read every single word. I know what it's saying. I just kind of skip through it, right? But you need to read every word when you read God's word because every word is important. Look what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments. That's what we just talked about, God-given commands. Look what it says, which I teach you. Why? For to do them that ye may live. See, Moses is not saying something, but he's saying something. He said, hey, all of you that are alive here today, think back. There was a whole lot more of us when we left Egypt. Why are they not here? Because they didn't do what God commanded them to do. You see, God-guided obedience in each one of our lives pushes us back towards that great nation we once knew. You see, God's word points us to the correct behavior. But then look at verse number 6. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of, of the nations. We read Proverbs. We find that that wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Where do we learn the fear of the Lord? In God's word. Keep reading. Which shall hear all these statutes, these nations around us will hear all these statutes and say, now think about this. Think about another nation saying this about someone else. This is not on the list of top five compliments one nation gives to another. It's not. You say, well, we're going to the Bahamas. First thing comes from the Bahamas, nice beaches, resorts, right? Well, we're going to England. Ooh, historic sites. Oh, we're going to China. Wow, different foods. That's not what it says. What are we supposed to be known by? The end of verse number six. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see, that comes from God-guided obedience. That God says do, and we say we will. Think back to King Solomon. We know that King Solomon, as he became king, understood he doesn't have what it takes to be the great king that he needs to be for his nation. And so he goes to God and says, I'm a little child. I don't even know how to come out and go in. I need you to do this. But what happens? the queen of the second greatest nation in the world that time from Africa travels, doesn't send an envoy, travels herself 
to Jerusalem to see if it's true that Solomon really is this good. And what does she say? They didn't even tell me the half of it. You say, that's because Solomon was such a wise... No, I submit to you that's because the nation of Israel under the reign of Solomon was a wise and understanding people. You see, obedience to God's word gives us wisdom and understanding, which in effect should identify us as a nation. You look at people, uh, and well, uh, of course, it would be great people that you would be studying, but great people at the formation of our nation and in the early 1800s, what they had to say about America. And it is very enlightening. America is great. Why? Because America is good. Not just, oh, you're a good boy. No, they are good according to the scripture. Their morals and ethics are beyond reproach. Now, not everyone is that way, but as a whole, our nation found its source of direction from this book. Not just the Continental Congress, but the average citizen knew God's word. By the time we get to our nation being founded, do you understand that America was by far the most literate nation in the world? Literate means they can read and write in their native language. You know why? Because every young person was taught to read God's word. In, in, uh, now my, my mind's going to not bring me a date. The late 1700s, my, my mind's not bringing up a date. They passed an act in, in Massachusetts that became a standard in all the colonies. And they said, once your town or your village or your little hamlet reaches 50 people, you are required by a state law to start a school. And then, when you reach 150 people, you're required to start a grammar school. Not just a school where we come and teach you the three R's, which aren't actually three R's. It's reading, writing, redneck, arithmetic, all right? <laughs> but you're, you're, you're taught everything. Why? You know what the act was called? It's called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Why? The text of that act says there is nothing more dangerous than allowing the devil to have his way. And if there's anything that the devil would love to do, it would be to keep our nation from God's book. And so we must put in act laws that protect our children from being sucked into the delusion of the devil. And so now we're going to teach every child to read using what? This book. Our literacy rate in 1776 was over 90%. Nation of England, which had been in existence for a long time before us, their literacy rate hovered right around 50 or 60%. One of the greatest nations in the world when our nation was formed. What made America great? We knew God's word and we obeyed it. You say, what's the problem with America today? That's the problem. You see, the wisdom and understanding in God's word allows our nation to follow godly rules. Look at what it says in verse number eight. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? The nation of Israel, obviously their laws were based out of exactly what God said. It's the best place to find laws. This is what God said. This is what the law is. But you look back at the United States of America and we found it, that's where we got our rules. We went back and studied the rules that were given in God's word, the sets of rules that were given throughout history that were based on God's rules, and we said, this is the way we're going to go. See, God's word gives us the wisdom to find that 
in his word to set up the laws and the judgments that we ought to have. So first of all, we follow God-given commands. Second of all, we focus on God-guided obedience. But then third of all, I'd like to point you to this last thought. And in my mind, this is where we, we have dropped the ball. You say, why has America gotten to the state it's in? Because somewhere along the line, there was a generation, or if you study history, multiple generations that dropped the ball. You say, what did they do? Let's look. Verse number nine. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Why? Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thine heart all the days of thy life. There's two things that Moses warns against. He said, lest thou forget, and lest we depart. You see, there's personal responsibility, and then there's corporate responsibility. The personal responsibility is we need to be reminded. And don't, don't fall into this trap. We need to be reminded of all the good things. We should. We should be reminded of those great days where we had people stand up for what's right. All right? As much as we talk smack about the political process and all the people that run for office and how unqualified they are and how um, unwise they are, what good does that do? How we roll back and say, okay, I remember this politician that stood for right. I remember this man who stood up and said, this is what we ought to do. Now, it feels kind of carnal quoting people that were presidents in the service. But there were some presidents we had that stood for right. Now, were they perfect? Absolutely not. They had issues just like you do. Just like I do. Okay, we'll throw us all in there. Lest we forget. This is why you say, I don't like to read. History is not my thing. I don't care. If our nation is going to succeed, we ought to know what happened. We ought to be able to prove it. You say, how do we prove it? Go back and do your research. I'm not saying you've got to come and get you a book like this to read. No. Do your homework. Find out. When somebody says, Thomas Jefferson was a deist, he didn't even believe in Jesus Christ. I've been told that all my life. And then I started to do some reading. I found out he may not have been square, but Thomas Jefferson himself said, I am a true Christian, in that what God defines as a Christian, someone who follows and believes the doctrines of Jesus Christ. You say that, and then you don't believe in Jesus Christ, eh, I'm not buying. I'm not saying Thomas Jefferson was a sold out, 100% saved, going to heaven believer. I don't know. But I know that he knew what the Bible said, and he knew it was right. But this God-granted diligence that we have is not just so that we don't forget but lest we depart. See, we ought to remind ourselves of the good things that have happened in the past, but also the bad things. We ought to remind ourselves why, so we don't depart. So we don't leave the things we know are right to do. It is right for us to to be diligent to remind ourselves of how great our God is. Uh, Okay, so my son got a little bike Okay, there's this type of bike Miss Becky, he's wanted for ever since he saw it at a friend's house. And it's, it's, a, it's a bike, okay, it's not that great. But in his little world, this is it, this is what he's after. And this week, my wife was out with the kids looking in junk shops, and she found one. Got it for a steal of a deal. 
great condition. And after they traveled through a couple more stores, she said, you know, we need to stop and thank the Lord for this. And so they stopped and prayed. And I was like, okay, good. And then yesterday, I'm sitting on the porch, and he's riding his bike around in the driveway. And he stops and says, Dad. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm so thankful God gave me this bike. And I was like, yes! He got it! Woo! Lest we forget. Hey, don't, don't, don't fail to teach your children. Not just, God's great, he saved me. I agree. Put some wheels on that. Let me tell you what God did right now for me. Do you see what God did, kids? Do you see that right there? God did that. Lest we forget. Judges chapter 2, verse number 10. If you read the beginning chapter of Judges, we find Joshua coming to the end of his life, and he dies. And the next verse points out the fact that there was a generation, Joshua's generation, who knew the Lord. And then in verse number 10, it says, There arose up another generation which knew not the Lord. You say, how did the knowledge of God disappear? I'll tell you how. Look at the end of verse number 9. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. You see, if we're going to keep America where she is and point her back to God, we've seen some things in the last month, in my opinion. This is free. You can take it for what it's worth. All right? In my opinion, there have been decisions in the last month that have done more positive movement than the last 12 years of negative movement we've seen in our nation. Something foundational like abortion. Now, you read, you read the, the context. You ought to. Don't just say, see what the news says because the news doesn't tell you the truth. They just tell you what they want you to know. Okay, yes, or yes. Okay, don't stare at me like that. You all better do your homework. Just because somebody's selling it doesn't mean you ought to buy it. That's also true at yard sales. Amen. <laughs> Anyways. The Supreme Court justices, the gentleman who wrote the, the deciding opinion that was announced to the nation, said this. He said, we are not taking a statement. We're not making a stand on whether abortion is right or wrong. We believe that abortion is unconstitutional for the government to decide. That it ought to be sent back to the states. Constitutionally, 100% correct. But there was another justice who wrote an opinion on the positive side. He said, this is the right opinion. He says this, it is not up to us to decide where life begins and ends. It is ours to protect everyone in our nation. That's Bible. That's positive movement. Now you say, well, Mr. Davies, how is that diligent? We got to teach our children. Our children ought to know why. We ought to take our children back to teach them. There's been some decisions in the last 80 years that have changed our nation, not for the good. And we ought to know why. 1962, the Bible and prayer were taken out of public schools. Now, you want to to know how good God is? We're going to get sidetracked, I can tell you. You want to know how good God is? You remember the court case. If you were alive, you read your history book. Murray, Murray, Madeline Murray O'Hare versus Baltimore City. 
She said, it's not right for my son to be exposed to this. She was an atheist, dabbled in drugs, lived a wild life, was wicked. Her son, William, who was in the public schools, got saved. And he came out and said, my mother has done more to damage our nation than anyone I've ever met. And you know what he did? He became part of a foundation to protect religious liberties in public settings. And he witnessed to his mother. His mother disowned him. But I have have it in my office where he said, I'm going to pray for my mother until the day she dies because God always gives second chances. You say, that was terrible to remove. Yes, but look what happened. You see, God gives us the ability to look back, not so we can say, well, yes, bless God, I know what our nation should do. Yeah, but do your kids know? This never became more clear to me until I began to teach people, Brother Bill, that weren't alive on 9-11. That boggled my mind. How, what do you mean you're not alive? I was born in 2003. What? That'll make you feel old, too. Yeah, what? All right. It's probably some of y'all when JFK got assassinated, and people were like, oh, we just read about that in history books. All right? And so I take it as my duty as an American, as a teacher, and as a Christian. When we get to September 11th, we stop. And we say, hey, we need to talk through this. You need to know why. You need to know what it did to our nation. You need to know where we've come from there. Why? Lest we forget. You see, that's the diligence we need. But notice it doesn't just say your sons. It says your son's sons. Do your grandkids know how good God's been to you? I mean, not just in the past. God gave us this house. God gave me your, your grandfather as a great husband. My, God, God blessed us to live in America. No, I mean, do they know what God's done for you recently? You see, our God is an active God. He's alive and he's well and he's doing things in each one of our lives. We've got to pass that on to our children, but also to our grandchildren. To say, hey, God still loves you. My parents have, have done a good job of that. Have told my girls what God's done for them. But we ought not let it die. That's what happened in the book of Judges. That's what happened in our nation that we forgot. See, Ronald Reagan said the founding fathers believed that faith in God was the key to our being a good people and the key to America becoming a great nation. Ronald Reagan was right. And so we step back to ask ourselves this question today. What are you doing? What are you personally doing to make America the nation it needs to be? You see, being patriotic is not good enough. We ought to be. My wife, from, because he's not very, very big now, but when he was smaller, first thing she taught him is to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Because every day going to walk, there's a flag. Let's stop. We're saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And we go down the road, we see a flag at a car dealership. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Of course, he couldn't get all the words, but he's close enough. You knew what he was saying. He says, is it really that big a deal? You better believe it is. One nation under God. This isn't just a patriotic thing. This is Bible. It's not good enough to be patriotic. Hey, it's not good enough to just be a Christian who comes to church. Unless we are living in an active, involved way in our community, telling people about Christ and our nation, we're not having an impact. 
You know, most people today have no idea the foundation of our nation because they haven't been taught. Taking our children to church won't get it done. Being patriotic won't get it done. The only way to do it is by living and following the commandments of God's word. It's the only way we'll be able to bring America back to God. It's the only way we'll be able to turn the tide, as the lady sang this morning. What are you doing? What am I doing? I love the 4th of July. Now, I don't like, most of you know, I don't like going to big crowds, watching fireworks, that just, no. I love celebrating our nation. I love people singing patriotic songs. Why? It's what we ought to be doing. If there's one day as a nation we can all come together and say, we're on the same page, this ought to be it. But don't forget what our goal is. Our goal is not just to be patriotic. Our goal is to point people to the God who began our nation. This is the only way we can see our nation blessed again because God is the one who truly has blessed America.